When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal. Boys and girls, my name's Ty Hildenbrandt, that fine gentleman over there. As always, the incomparable Dan Rubenstein. As always, the show here driven by Geico. Sir, how are you this fine day? Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. Took a shower for the first time in a couple days. The sun is out. Uh, I'm leaving for the West Coast tomorrow <laughs> as we record this. There it is. There it is. I found some pairs of shorts I haven't worn in a long time. I hope that I can find shorts for my my older son who I'm taking with me. I just, I'm, I'm in a good place, Ty. And I'm in a good place because of today's episode, too, because we are having a friend of the show and a friend in general, on, and we haven't had him in a few months and I'm just excited to uh, to get in the weeds with him as well. Matt Brown, he writes the Extra Points with Matt Brown newsletter. He covers pretty much all things college football business related. And yes. Matt has seen this universe grow up in a really big, really quick way, frankly, because of NIL, because of the implications with Transfer Portal, because of the implications with coaching movement, because of everything that you always hear about conference realignment. We're going to try and dissect a small sliver of that on today's show. We want to try and get in-depth, talk a little bit more about NIL, because frankly, it's the kind of thing, Dan, that we do this every day. Even we don't fully understand what no, the ramifications are, where it's taking the sport. One of the things we hear a lot is, is college football dying because of NIL? You hear some real doom and gloom stuff with respect to NIL. We want to try and talk to Matt Brown to get a little bit more detail on what exactly is going on in the weeds out there. there I, it's, it's very rare that you can find somebody who covers the sport, who's into the sport, who knows all of the rules, who knows all of the repercussions, <laughs> who knows all of the history, who knows all of the possibilities. Matt doesn't. I don't. You don't. Matt just happens to know more than us about this specific topic because this is his beat. The business of college sports is his beat. And our beat is, 
what could we call Alan Lazard yeah, in exactly. a funny way? Yeah. What is a name that we could come up with, good or bad? What could we call him because we love watching him catch balls in Ames, Iowa? That's exactly so right. Yeah. I, I appreciate that we can bring on somebody like Matt to answer that kind of question because NIL, as you referenced, alluded to, whatever, it's one of those things where I think, because I am one of the average college football fans, where you can say, what is NIL? And you can say, oh, players can make money off of their names and image and likeness. And, you know, they have more freedom financially than ever before. And like, how does it work? You're like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Who's in charge? I don't know. Who's, uh, where's the money coming from? I don't know. Are they taxed? I don't know. We joked about it on the show we did on Tuesday. Yeah. If we want to sponsor an Instagram post. Yeah. I think technically we could. I don't know how we would. Maybe we can ask Matt. It's definitely a new layer. If you've ever been to like an old diner that has like the 14 layer cake, like, I don't know if I can get through all that. It's definitely a new layer in an already difficult sport to follow day to day. Ty, you know what I'm talking about. Those German chocolate cakes. I do. Yeah. I don't know if those sing to you or if those revolt you. I don't know. 14 layers is a lot of layers. It's a lot of layers. I've seen lasagnas that are like deeply and densely layered. But it's something that we talked about, and I want to ask Matt about, too, about what this does for kind of mainstream fandom, if mainstream fandom even matters with college football. And I've made the reference to, you know, European soccer leagues and how difficult they can be to be very into all the time. I almost think it's similar to, like, are you into DC Comics? Will you watch a Batman movie and be like, "Mm, there were some inconsistencies based on Detective Comics number 44, where, like, Bane actually doesn't have that accent anymore. Like, it's... (laughs) Like, it's a very much all-in situation that is very difficult to be all-in on all the time. And some people love, whether it's comic books and movies and books and, like, these, like, micro-universes. College football is very much, and college sports, very much a micro-universe that you need to be both into, at peace with, and willing to do it all the time. Because... If you are an Oklahoma State fan, if you're a Minnesota fan, if you're a North Carolina fan, and you are a diehard, that means you know the recruits they're targeting. It means you might know who their analysts are. What's an analyst? I kind of know, but I don't know if I can fully explain the day-to-day of an analyst uh, as opposed to an assistant coach. So I'm just, I'm glad we have, this is a long-winded way of saying, I'm glad we have Matt who can say, here is my thing. Yeah. And this is as best as I can tell in this constantly evolving world, how it works. ExtrapointsMB.com yes. is the URL if you want to go and check out what Matt has to offer. I think we just jump in. Let's do it. Don't forget, if you want to subscribe to the show, go on out to our website, SolidVerbal.com. You can find all the links there. We would encourage you to rate and review the show if you haven't already. For Ballers.com, if you want, you can not only get early access to this episode, we'll drop it a day early, but you can also watch the video that we'll record with Dan and myself and with Matt Brown. And last but certainly not least, please do follow along on social media with an important emphasis on subscribing to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the solid verbal. All right, Dan, joining us now from Extra Points with Matt Brown. It's the Matt Brown portion of that title. (laughs) Matt Brown, welcome back. Thanks, fellas. It's always, always great to be here. How you been? So things things have taken off for you with the newsletter. Man, I, I feel like I've been joking with my wife that 
if we can just get through this next week, that things will slow down and things go back to normal. And it's been like that for like 18 months. But if you write about off the field stuff, it's been one haymaker after another. And, and I've been really lucky that like being able to to write about just the nerdiest stuff in college sports has grown enough of an audience to, to really let me do this. It's It's been wonderful. You know what, by the way, you know what I like about Matt Brown? Other than the fact that I just like Matt Brown, that he's a nice, smart person who works very hard to inform people, is he has selected an element of college sports and college football. And it's just like, this is my corner. This is my thing. And a lot of people, I mean, it's not just podcasters. It's everybody. We're just like, I'm talking sports with my guys. And Matt's like, this is what interests me. This is what I'm going to lock in on. And this is what I'm going to become as, as much of an expert as possible in. And so I like that with restaurants. I like that with humans. And so I like that with, of course, people who cover sports. So that's that to me, Ty, is what I what I love about having him. Yeah. And not just that. I mean, we're out here yelling about is NIL the end of college right, right, right. football? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Matt's like, uh, I'm going to file a FOIA request. I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had no idea when I got into this world that I feel like I was going to end up with 18 credit hours in accounting. And and learned a little a lot more about sports law and, and all of this stuff here. And and you're you're right. Like I, I think part of that just came out of the fact that, you know, my blogging early days, I was an Ohio State fan. There's like forty five people on that beat. Like there's nothing yeah. interesting that I can say, especially outside of Ohio, about Ohio State's linebackers, but I can talk to you about Ohio State's finances or their contracts or other things. And then it turns out that was interesting to me. And and now I've learned a lot about that kind of esoteric stuff. So, like, listen, if you want to talk Patriot League, you want to talk NIL, you want to talk some just itty, like nitty stuff, like, I'm your Huckleberry. I'm glad, like, that's the Ooh. that's the thing I've learned how to do. Huckleberry. All right. Well, look, why don't we start with NIL? I think the last time that we had you on, it was before the season had kicked up. It was before I quit the mysterious day job. So we've all kind of been on this journey over the last year together. Um, let me hearken back to that kind of exaggerated question that I referenced at the beginning. Is NIL the end of college football? No, I, I, I don't I don't think so at all. And I'll, I'll tell you this. I feel like there's really two different NIL markets that are happening right now. There's the NIL marketplace for primarily top 300 college football players and top 100 college basketball players where that gets written a lot through the, the, the eyes of college football assistant coaches and has one marketplace, right? And then you have the NIL marketplace for literally everybody else, because that, that marketplace does exist for D1 softball players and Division II football players and, and, and D3 everybody else's. And what we're seeing, because we, we, we actually do have some hard and fast data about this. We can look up compliance forms that are sent to schools for athletes that do deals. We have a general idea about how many athletes at a given school have done any kind of deal. And we know that at a place like Ohio State or Alabama or Tennessee, you know, around one out of four college athletes across all other sports have done anything with NIL. With football players, the percentage is a little bit higher. And we have to remember that some athletes like international students uh, can't do NIL deals because that would uh, complicate their visa. So maybe it's like maybe it's like a third if we look at eligible athletes. And then at G5 or one AAA schools, it might be 12, 10, 8 percent. And it goes down farther from there. So if the participation is that low, I don't look at that as, as you know, being a catastrophic anything on college football. And, and most of the time, if someone's getting a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks to go, you know, shill for candles on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I think that's great, right? Absolutely. Um, I think when we talk to assistant coaches, and this is not, 
to be disrespectful, but it is in their interest to freak out about every tiny little difference perceived or in actuality between their program and any other program because they get paid 750 grand to recruit. And if somebody else has something a little bit different from them, well, that compromises their their ability, right? So it's, it's in their interest to tell reporters that to go out in public and like, this is the wild west. This is changing everything. And, it, you know, for the kind of athlete that was going to get a bag man deal anyway, right. you know, we're, we're seeing that now. It's just a different tax classification. But I, I, I suspect based on just what we've seen so far, the, the, the impact that this has had on roster management and roster construction and college football in general, I think it's a little bit overstated. A lot of the stuff that everyone's freaking out about now, that was still happening. I mean, I mean, Jimbo said that, that same thing, right? Like we was always doing NIL deals. We just, we just weren't always talking about them. That's been the big difference right now is that now there's paperwork to some of the stuff that's been going on for decades. Yeah. And on top of that, there's the whole transfer rule. And yeah. I'm curious to hear how you've combated the question of the end of the sport as we know it, because there are two things that have been kind of rolled into one, conflated. You've obviously got NIL legislation. More guys are eligible to get money off their name, image, and likeness. That's what that stands for if anyone out there is wondering what is NIL. But you combine that with transfer portal activity, and it feels like suddenly we've got this free agent market in college football. Guys are getting paid. It's not what it used to be. Yada, 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 the end of the sport as we know it. Yeah. So well, I do hear that sometimes. And I hear that from fans. And sometimes I even hear that from administrators. So like my, my first question would be like, let's let's interrogate that a little bit. What, what is it about an athlete getting paid above the board or, or below the board that imp- that makes you feel like this isn't fun to watch? Like for me, I like watching the football game on Saturday. I like making jokes on Twitter with my friends. I like eating uh, irresponsible things in, in parking lots and, and, and <laughs> yeah. being offered clear liquid in, in glasses, right? And none of that changes re- uh, based on the tax situation of anybody on the field. I, I can understand some frustration with, hey, rosters are more transient now. And maybe I don't know if that freshman that we signed is going to be somebody that we see in two or three years. That's been true for college sports other than college football for a while. You know, one of the fun things about this job has been learning about how recruiting and roster management, all these things work in other sports. And you hear volleyball coaches saying like, oh my gosh, people have been tampering like hell for years. <laughs> like the AAU right. volleyball coaches are like the, the bag men of that community and people still care about volleyball. So like I look at that and think like, I, I get how that might make some people's lives more difficult, but I don't think it fundamentally changes the, the experience of what we like. Um, and and things, things evolve and, and change. I don't think the way that roster management and NIL and transfers are, are looking now will be what they look like in a couple of years. That market is going to reach some kind of equilibrium a little bit. But if coaches changing this quickly hasn't ruined the sport for you or, or schools changing conferences this quickly, right? I don't think it should if a middle linebacker makes that same decision, especially because you are probably going to benefit from that as well. Fair enough. What don't we know at this point? Because as far as I can remember, the NCAA last summer said, okay, you are good to do this. Also, we're not doing anything with it. We're not legislating <laughs> yeah. things. Yep. We are not overseeing it. And so there is this element, and you know, the, the term Wild Wild West is used a lot, but like there was an article today, I think it was David Ubbin at The Athletic, talking about like the Tennessee fan collective putting together 15, 20, 25 million dollars per recruiting class and putting it towards, you know, getting star players paid because of their contributions to winning and product, uh, productivity, whatever, on the field. So 
What is there oversight? What is the oversight? What do contracts look like? Who is looking at contracts? Is that person who is looking at Hendon Hooker's contract from a car dealership somebody who has the best interest of the car dealership? Has the best interest of this like third party like open endorse and we're going to help you like find endorsements and everything like that? Is it an agent who's like, hey, Hendon Hooker, I'm looking out for you. This looks out for me. This is our deal. Like what? is yet to be written in terms of all of these new business relationships with not amateurs in terms of amateur student athlete, but amateurs of the business world. Yeah, th- this is the biggest question. And it's yeah. it's, it's something I, I have a big Trello board here and like on my computer and there's like eight different stories kind of in, in process of reporting looking through this because this is the big question that I have. And I feel very confident that we're going to see some stories, you know, first in these first couple of months of this year about Athletes uh, are getting some unpleasant surprises from the IRS, particularly for the athletes that took big, expensive cars and not cash and not realizing that those are taxable assets. And suddenly they owe, you know, the IRS nine thousand dollars because of that truck that they then gave back because they transferred or did something else. Um, that That's an issue because I, I can tell you those first couple of months when NIL deals were first happening, July, August, September, nobody really knew what they were doing. And by nobody, I mean not just the athletes, the compliance officers, and a lot of the brands. A lot of the companies that have been really heavily involved in this world have never done influencer marketing before. So they don't really know how to evaluate the success of an Instagram campaign. They don't know how to price it. They don't know what kind of contracts they have to offer. They just know, I want to help Old State U, and, and, which is fine. And, and on one hand, I look at that and think there's, there's reason to be excited or optimistic because as those local businesses learn more, that will mean more opportunities for all football and all women's volleyball and soccer players and, and people that, that that could benefit. But there's going to be hiccups. I have a lot of questions about these collectives. I have a lot, I have questions about how the collectives themselves make money because some of them are pitching themselves as completely nonprofit entities, which we'll see if the IRS agrees. You know, that's stay tuned on extra points. Because I for saw that story. what Heath Schuler is a Heath Schuler is a consultant for the tenant. Like also they have a payroll. The former congressman. Heath right. Schuler. Yeah. For the yeah. Tennessee so one, yeah. So for agents, where agents, what they typically do, right? They take 5, 10, 15% of these kind of deals. And what I've talked to from a lot of other agents working independently is I don't really want to be involved in the college athlete NIL space because 10% of a $250 deal is nothing. It's not worth and time, I have to yeah. do an enormous amount of scale to do it. And I can't require the athlete that's signing with me at 19 to still sign with me once they turn pro. Um, and, and, and that's been kind of the issue with the, the sneaker universe, right, with, with basketball players. So if a lot of those other agents aren't getting involved, I didn't realize this until this year, basically. For college, you can just declare yourself an agent. Like, I've talked to a lot of people that were representing an athlete I was thinking of doing a deal with, only to learn they were an undergrad and like they're representing their dorm mate. Um, and like they're 20. They haven't even finished Vermont yet. So like, OK, that, we have to, that changes the way that you and I work together. Um, so I, w- I would have some concerns and I would have some concerns. And this isn't this is not a, a criticism of, of Dave's story or any of these other stories. But if we're writing about the NIL space and we the only people we're talking to are people who run collectives that are like, nope, my collectives giving out one hundred bajillion dollars. And then we talk to somebody who's whose industry benefits from people using these collectives like, yep, I'm the CEO of big NIL. And I looked at the numbers and NIL is getting real big. Uh, and then we publish that. Without maybe digging into, can we confirm any of those those numbers? Are the that deal that that's being offered to the athlete actually happening? How these people are making money? Like 
I got lots of follow-up questions. And it reminds me a little bit of like crypto or maybe some other basic financial instruments where maybe the cart's gotten out ahead of the horse a little bit um, and we, uh, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen in a year or two in terms of regulations or actually executing on the things that we say that we're going to do. You know what I right. mean? Right. Totally. And so what is, wh where is the messiness coming from now uh, from the school's perspective, right? So you have the schools who have students who are making money from outside entities and they themselves have nothing to do with things, but also you're Allegedly. talking about schools yeah. who are with these athletes all day, schools who could be uh, seeing bad things happen if a, a deal goes wrong, if it affects eligibility. All, like, where, what are the school's roles at this point? Like, they can say they're educating, but like, there is this like weird lack of accountability from the school's perspective. Do, do you see that? changing or adjusting like it's just very strange that and I, I am somebody who likes that players are making money from their name image and likeness but it's very strange that like college football is a major sport and yet the schools have nothing to do with the income of their best players yeah. whereas the nhl like all these like all, we have governing bodies that oversee everything and schools are like you know whatever happens happens <laughs> It's kind of the worst case scenario, I think, in a couple of different ways, right? And I've talked to some bigger schools that say, you know, even if we change state law that allows us to like actually proactively go after and try to book some of these deals, we're not going to want to do it because we don't want that liability, especially right. because maybe not every company that wants to aggressively get involved in this space is on the level, right? So if you're Ohio State and you book a deal with Jerry's, you know, truck company dealership and that dealership goes belly up or gets sued or something bad happens and so yeah. OSU is liable, then I want that. Um, but the, 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 you're kind of still doing that right now without, you're right, that level of oversight. I can tell you, here's, here's another major thing that I hear a lot because so much of the people that I talk to are mid-majors or maybe D1 schools that don't have football programs. Like, uh, let's say if we're, you know, uh, a Patriot League team, let's say, let's say we're Lafayette and they might sit down there and talk to their athletes and you're going to have athletes at Lafayette who can make NIL money. Probably not $100,000 unless there's somebody who's really good at Twitch, but, but people who, who, would, who would generate some value. But Lafayette, and this is just an example, you know, don't, if you, don't, don't yell at me if, I, if, if the, exact, <laughs> the specifics are wrong, but Lafayette's probably got like one and a half compliance people, uh, a couple of grad assistants helping them with that department. They're going to have two or three sports information people and some grad assistants. So they're gonna, I mean, like people at those kind of schools will tell me, I literally don't have the capacity to do more about NIL than say, we did this deal with influencer open doors. So we have the compliance stuff. Here's a couple of videos you can watch about Instagram. Please don't do a deal with the porn company. Please don't do a deal that's gonna embarrass me. And you're on your own. And there's gonna be a couple of very entrepreneurial minded people that will jump into that. And other people are like, I have no idea even where to start. And so they don't. Uh, or and 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 I, I look at that and think, well, that's that's too bad. Not just because you're missing out on money, but you're missing out on building a professional network and learning about industries. That's really hard to do when you're a college athlete, which I think people forget sometimes because it's not like you can, if you're playing D1 basketball, that you can just say, all right, hey, I'm studying abroad. I'm going to go to Italy. I'll see you in four months. Or I'm doing this internship now with uh, with Goldman because you got to lift weights and do stuff for 25 hours a week. So you don't get that same college experience. Going in doing NIL deals gives you an opportunity to, to be exposed to some of that. And the, the lack of resources for smaller schools is, is one of the big pain points. Um, 
And for the bigger schools, it's a pain point, Dan, for exactly what I think you're you're explaining. And then they hear their, their regents and their boosters and their fans say, listen, I looked on the message boards here and sliced bread says that somebody in this other school is giving out $10 million. Right. What are we doing? And we can't. And there's there's incentives to maybe do stuff outside the lines. It's it's a it's a difficult position to be in if you have that kind of booster community. How universal is state law at this point? Because we recently saw a story about Florida State feeling like they're falling behind because of what they're unable to do within the state of Florida. So how universal is state law in terms of paying influencers, you know, using name, image and likeness among students, whatever. And how universal is the willingness or I don't know what my like my English is here, but how universal is the willingness of schools to part with trademarks so an alabama logo a usc logo i I had seen that that was sort of a hang up with caleb williams as he was trying to figure out where he wanted to go that usc isn't especially fond of parting with its own trademarks for other people to use unless they are nike or what you know what unless it's a deal like that so how universal is the the willingness on the state level and the univer and the the willingness on the university level from a, a trademark perspective. This, this is a great question and it's a really important one. And the answer is not even close to at all. Right? <laughs> yeah, I figured. And yeah. Um. So not to, I don't want to be like explicitly partisan here or anything, but I, I can tell you that most of the state lawmakers last year that were most involved in crafting NIL bills uh, had no idea what they were doing. Uh, do not do not follow college athletics. Are not aware of of any of the issues in that world. They were doing it because their their boosters and their voters were saying, you know, state use is going to fall behind, so we have to do this really quickly. And then they realized in six months that maybe they made some mistakes, and that's so. You're seeing one. Not every state did one of these at all. Indiana, Utah, I want to say Wisconsin had none. Um, and some commentators have argued that actually put them at an advantage. It's not an accident that BYU was one of the first schools to do wide, uh, you know, broad-based deals for not just all of their walk-ons, but I think all of their women athletes have something. So like, and their law let them do that. Um, So you have some places where you have more restrictive laws and there's a push to change that, particularly in the South with Florida, with Mississippi, with Georgia. You have some places where the law is hilariously, you know, poorly written and it has nothing to do with enforcement and it's just kind of there. Uh, You have some places where states, the state legislator only meets like once every other year. Or it meets for six weeks and they have other things going on, as you might expect. And so nothing's really happening there. So there's, there is um, not even close to certainty. And this is why the NCAA and why, or one of the reasons why the NCAA and many ADs are saying we need a federal law. Um, and that's, that's, that, you know, that's, that's kind of a different conversation. And then with the trademark thing, you're right too. There are smaller schools that don't care. Um, yeah. And even a couple of big schools that don't care. My alma mater, Ohio State, probably employs more trademark lawyers who are like <laughs> aggressively going after this than a lot of other schools have like athletic trainers, right? Like if, if I if I uh, pronounce the incorrectly on this podcast, I might get a letter to my, my PO box. So you know, that, that that's a big issue for, for many schools. Licensing and sponsorship is a big revenue source. And if they don't aggressively protect that IP, if Texas A&M doesn't sue anybody that thinks about the number 12, then they lose that. Um, and we'll see if that becomes an issue in recruiting. My, my, my guess is, is probably not that much, but it is an issue in what kind of NIL deals you can do. The, the last thing I think I would say is despite hesitancy about copyrights, we haven't seen anybody yet, any school actually try to take punitive action on an athlete because the deal that they did. Uh, I, I could tell, you know, beginning, in the beginning of this process, a lot of compliance teams 
and, and honestly still now expressed a lot of um, apprehension about their athletes becoming barstool athletes or doing deals right. with barstool because uh, it's because of their connection with gambling. And many state laws said, don't do that. But nobody really, you know, made an athlete, to the best of my knowledge, terminate that deal or actually remove their eligibility. They may have educated them. They may have said, please don't do this. They may have, uh, you know, talked about it. But I don't think anyone's been willing to actually put the hammer down. And that's going to be true, I think, as other athletes kind of push the envelope as to what is permitted. I mean, if you were somebody that did a deal with the sports book right now and your school said no, if you're good enough, I don't know anyone's going to tell you not to, right? Like you have to do something absolutely outlandish to really get, I think, in trouble right now. You know what I mean? The Solid Verbal is sponsored by BetterHelp. Here's a question. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you take a nap? You know, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had a little more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you in the first place. Therapy can help you figure that out and help you make it a priority so you can do more of it. Therapy can benefit everyone. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, or just trying to find the best version of yourself. It's not just for folks who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com solid today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash solid. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. One of the things that Dan and I have been thinking about a lot is perhaps this other, I almost want to call it a don't look up moment, where we know that EA Sports wants to make the video game. We know that pretty much every college wants to be part of that video game. We also know that now because of new rules, players can benefit in some regard from that. The don't look up moment, though, is how do they benefit from that and who coordinates the benefits that they receive from that purported video game. Where I'm going with this is where are we at with regard to a players association, some sort of player union? Um, is it the kind of thing, Matt, where players can buy in when they start playing at the collegiate level and then they're just part of this thing? Do you foresee any sort of group with oversight applying to specific benefits, specific circumstances and not the whole shebang? Where are we at with that movement? So this is a, a really good question. Let me answer the video game part first, and then we can talk about because you, you actually hit on something that's a, a gigantic deal. Um, I was actually just talking to somebody at EA Sports, like literally before we recorded today. Um, I can tell you that there is a lot of optimism on their side that when the game is released next year, it will include player likenesses. And the reason for that is over the last several months, 
many schools, mostly P5 schools, but some G5 schools too, have begun to set up group licensing programs. Uh, I think a lot of them are working with a company called the Brander Group, Brandar Group, which does group licensing, I want to say, for like the WNBA, PA, and some other professional associations. And the, like, the way that's set up now is an athlete voluntarily opts in. It's not required. You can do it as soon as you enroll. And uh, that gives the school permission to make, make jerseys with your name on them or do other digital products with your name on them. And then you get a percentage of, uh, of, of that revenue. It's not like a union where maybe you could collectively bargain and, and argue over that particular percentage. So it's, it's not the same thing, but you, now you have an entity where you can do that. And now we are getting to the point where so many schools are opting into those deals with this one company that theoretically, Brandar could then go to EA and say, I have the NILs for football players at 80 schools. Let's do a deal where that EA Sports would then pay every one of those athletes, I would, I would say probably in the, in the mid to high four figures to appear in this game and then potentially a percentage for future DLCs if you're involved. Um, and I think every, high, every college football player would be thrilled to do that. And then once that happens, then you would be a system where athletes could opt in at their individual school. And I, I would honestly expect some kind of announcement on that front by this summer. Wow. That, that's, that's where the, uh, the wheels are, are turning on, uh, on there. So, so there's a lot of optimism on the video game, but that's going to happen. And also, if that doesn't happen, Notre Dame's not going to be in the game. Like Northwestern's not going to be in the game. I think probably 10 schools won't be in the game, but it's going to happen. The other question, though, is, is a much, much bigger, really existential question about are we going to have a union? And right now, there can't be an athlete union because legally, college athletes are not employees. You have to, you have to be an employee before you can unionize. And that may change. That may change because the NLRB, the organization that, that ruled in favor of Northwestern, has basically, like the head of that has basically put out an all-points bulletin saying, now would be a great time for an athlete to say, to file a complaint. And um, athletes right now haven't, but two athlete rights organizations, one in California and one, one I believe in Minnesota, have filed those complaints. So that takes 18 months basically for that to happen, but it, it, it could. Um, the federal court system, is looking at a case right now, uh, uh, it's called the Johnson case, dealing with Villanova, of, of all places, that are saying that we deserve to be uh, classified as employees. And so the, the federal courts, whether that's the Supreme Court or district court might rule that. So once that happens, then we could see another union drive. And then down the road, we could have a player's union who that could collectively bargain, not just about the video game or about jerseys, but also about health insurance or base salaries or COVID or any of those other things. I think there's some level of wish casting among certain elements in both college sports media and college sports academia that are like, this is gonna happen tomorrow. And, and regardless whether you think it's a good idea or not, like I can tell you it's not happening tomorrow. And I would put my money on the next union drive in college football failing before it, it is successful. But there's a good chance eventually this will happen and we'll have that set up like we do in the pros. My other question with regard to that, Matt, where does this go next? So we know about the video game. You mentioned jersey sales, things of that nature. But it, my hunch is, and maybe this is wish casting as well, that the longer we go on in a world with NIL, the more that sphere of influence will grow or will test the boundaries to see what it can get its hands on. Where do you see NIL going next with respect to players getting benefits financial or otherwise from things like jersey sales or other products that maybe weren't even in the equation when we started talking about this thing a year plus ago yeah i i think there's there's two places where it can still grow a ton 
right now, we talk about NIL, we're usually talking about social media endorsements. You know, somebody throwing something on Instagram or TikTok or maybe going to the local fireworks store and like signing autographs, which is cool. But um, you do need to have a, a certain size social media account to really be able to do that profitably. It's a probably five figures. Not everybody has that. But every single college athlete, whether you start or you're on the bench or you're at a big school or a small school, you're an expert in that sport. And so one place that, that's just been kind of like in its baby steps, but I really do think will grow in the next year or two, are athletes making money running summer camps and giving lessons and being involved with high schools and club sports and AAU and going back to their hometowns. It's already a huge deal in a lot of Olympic sports, particularly swimming. College swim coaches generally get paid like crap. And a lot of them, especially assistants, uh, basically make enough money off the summer camp circuit to allow them to continue to stay in college. I think players are going to get involved in that space right now, too. The, there's a lot of marketplaces to make finding an Instagram deal pretty quick and easy. That doesn't exist right now for doing uh, camp clinics. But that is a place I think could, could really grow a lot. Um, maybe uh, a running back brings his whole running back room to the local high school and, and you know, participates in two-a-days with them and makes a thousand bucks for it. Like that's, I think that will continue to grow. The, the other place here is in the group licensing world. You're, you're, you're right, Ty. I, I think companies are trying to figure out what else makes sense besides jerseys or besides apparel um, for athletes to be involved in. And uh, if you look at my PR box, it was, well, it's NFTs, right? It's going to be digital <laughs> right. goods. And, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm much more skeptical of that. But I, I could definitely see before, maybe before we get EA Sports College Basketball or College Baseball, I could see a college football like mobile simulator game uh, that, that has player likenesses or something that's not a AAA sports title that goes directly to iPhone or Android or maybe just to Steam that uses player likenesses. And I, I think that, that once it becomes less expensive to kind of experiment with those kind of products, that is a world where, where you might see as well. Not so much NFT, but, but maybe gamings or, 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 or more traditional collectibles um, that athletes can be involved in. Where does this go with regard to governing bodies? Because as you mentioned with the, the group licensing, you're negotiating with EA Sports. You're negotiating with a different company and that's an acceptable company. We've seen obviously schools and conferences partner with EA Sports. Everybody seems to be happy with that type of association. But if you look at Olympic sports, there are specific governing bodies for specific sports. You know, there's United States track and field, there's United States swimming, there's then of course the United States uh, Olympic Committee, whatever, the associations. It's just, it's by sport, it's by governing body, it's specific to the sport and the needs and the types of athletes that play that sport. We don't have that. We have conferences that oversee scheduling and TV rights. That's an oversimplification, but it's a major part of what they do. We have the NCAA, which enforces eligibility and sets the rules of eligibility, which seems to be growing more and more like a dinosaur by the day. What is the future of sports-specific governing bodies, the way conferences operate, and the way the sport as a whole, if we are negotiating national TV deals, is there going to be more and more of a national governing body specific to, because this is a football show, football? What is the status of the organization of the sport and sports. Yeah, this, I mean, this is probably the, the single biggest story outside of maybe NIL that I'm, I'm writing about on Extra Points, I think, this summer. Yeah. Um, your, your listeners may be aware that a few weeks ago at the NCAA convention in Indianapolis, uh, member schools approved a new constitution. Right. Where a lot of stuff was written about that, um, but the new constitution itself doesn't 
change a whole lot other than delegate a lot of authority to specific divisions. So all of the NCAA bylaws that you might be familiar with from this is what it takes to be a conference to this is the amount of, of cream cheese you can put on your bagel and, and all of those different things. That's all being nuked. And they're saying, D1, make your own. And many of the Power 5 schools are saying, we want more autonomy, which means money, and we want more championship access, which means money, uh, in the current system too. And, and I'm, I am someone that, that, that still really thinks a formal P5 split is unlikely based on the conversations I've had. And if it did, it wouldn't be a straight P5, G5 thing. There's going to be P5s that wouldn't want to do it and G5s that would. But it, it, that does set the table. It does give the Division One a ton more flexibility to blow up how they have organized their sports in a bunch of different ways. So we could very much see a world where uh, college track and field is more regulated by U.S. track than it is the NCAA or Division One. Uh, we could have different conferences have different scholarship rules for different Olympic sports. Um, the SEC in particular would love this because they want to give every single softball player a scholarship. They, they have the money. They don't want that to be a partial thing anymore. There are Pac-12 schools that want that same thing. There's a lot of Division One that says that that literally defeats the point of us having a softball program. We're only doing this for tuition. There's no chance we would want to be able to do that even if we had the money. Um, this is what's happening with the team specific stuff is, is fascinating because I, I you get it now that I've been writing about this a lot. Yeah, I think you get an idea for which one of those those team specific organizations are invested in college athletics. Like I think U.S. wrestling is an example where they, they really are because they recognize that's that's my Olympic pipeline. And these are the sports that are threatened. So we want to be heavily involved. And then there's U.S. soccer, which historically is not very involved I, I, to the best of my knowledge in, in the college world. So those things are going to evolve. And I think how football is governed. Is, is going to change. It's going to change a lot from more um, rules being given to conferences. We could see a system, I think, where the college football playoff uh, has a lot more uh, like regulatory influence over schools. It, that, or, or, I mean, that just gets moved out of the NCAA. How many employees completely? does the yeah. college football playoff have? Oh, that's a great moment. question. That's a great question. Do you like know? Six? I, I don't I, know. My my assumption I, is it's not more than probably 12. Well, no, I, I don't think it's very many either. Yeah. This is a source of, of frustration with so many schools. It's like, look, college football playoff gets all the money. But when we got to investigate somebody's eligibility, that's Indianapolis. Like that's the, the all, all of that stuff is paid for by a different pool. So that is all going to change. And, and the best I can tell you right now is nobody knows the answer yet. Um, including ADs and people that you would expect to know the answer. And if we went up and grabbed, grabbed Greg Sankey and grabbed um, you know, Julie from Ohio University, the, the two chairs of the Transformation Committee, I don't think they know yet either, which is both exciting and probably scary because there's some gigantic questions, really acrimonious questions sure. that nobody knows yet. They can have some educated guesses, and I have a couple of educated guesses, I, I think, what it'll look like, but nobody really knows for certain yet. How standardized, and I assume your answer is going to be not very, but how standardized is the P5 level, the G5 level financially? In pro sports, we ha there's an understanding and then there are explicitly written rules. Hi, your salary floor is $60 million. You need to pay your players at least $60 million per season. You need to have a practice facility. Like there are certain things where if you are the Los Angeles Clippers, if you are the Calgary Flames, whatever, there are standardized elements to how you run your organization. As we look across college football, and this is a conversation Ty and I have, is like 
This is a program that's unserious about winning. They're unserious about becoming that uh, about winning in the Big Ten. They're unserious about winning in the ACC. They're there to collect a check. They're there because they're big enough, but like they're not spending on coaches. They're not spending on facilities. They're not spending on recruiting. And it just seems like there are certain programs that are just financial doormats. Like they're there to make money and they're not there to compete. Where it seems that for the most part, and I know tanking is now a thing in professional sports and whatever. Are we going to get to a standardized financial level where we're going to say, you know what, school A, school B, you're not investing in your program. You are not trying to compete on a level in which, and it's hard for a lot of these places, Is there? are, are we going down a standardization path as the sport reorganizes? This is something I think many schools would like. So to, you know, to answer your first question, for Division One, there are supposed to be some very basic benchmarks that a school has to be in compliance to, right. to be a D1 school. And like for football, it's like you're supposed to have a stadium that's X size. You need to have uh, attendance uh, of a certain number over a couple of years. And nobody follows that rule. Like if we went to by the, the letter of the rule, the MAC as a conference would not be like FBS anymore. But everyone gets waivers and, and, and they make up their attendance stuff, right? And, and there's some frustration about that. And But there's also, we can't, necessarily pick and choose which schools will be in the highest level without risking being sued. So one thing you could see as a standardization tool, a couple of ADs have, have floated this, would be if you want to be FBS or you want to be like the, the highest level of college football, you have to sponsor 23 sports or 22 sports and use that as a proxy for your athletic department must be doing X, Y, or Z. And you would have to have X number of paid staffers and you can voluntarily jump in and not. You're, you're right. There, the, the biggest gap, honestly, I think is, might really be between the very bottom of Division One and like a high-level mid-major, like a, what a Missouri Valley basketball team is doing versus a bottom-level WAC or Big South or HBCU right now financially is enormous. There are some college facilities that are probably worse than where either of you went to high school. Um, and, 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 and like the, then you have the gap between a Houston and an ECU and like Ohio state and Alabama. Um, and, and even within the P five, like, I, I think we can all agree. You're right. There are some schools that are willing to make different financial commitments. And then there are schools that, uh, are, you're right, are, are riding on uh, inertia. Like what Rutgers is able to do financially, despite being in the big 10, it's not the same sport. And you're right. Like that, that is a question at all levels of, of college football is being asked. Why does it make sense if we're clearly not on the same page here resource-wise or philosophy-wise for us to be in, in, the, in the same boat? And like that's figuring out the best way to draw that line will be one of those contentious issues for sure. So what does your, your 2030 college sports utopia look like, right? Is it an organizational thing? Is it a financial thing? Like in your mind, if 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 we're sitting and having this conversation in eight years and ties in his early fifties. I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know how old we're all going to be, but if we're having yeah. this conversation, Let's eight, 10, 12 that. years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you're on this show. You, the hologram of Matt Brown is on this show saying, man, they nailed a, B, C, D, and E. What are those things? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And part of that, I, I have to recognize I'm coming at this from a different perspective, right? So like sure. one of the things that's would be important to me would be, that athletic spending becomes more aligned with an institutional goal. So by that, I mean, like, we don't see this a ton at the P5, but we have schools in, in Division One that are commuter schools that are serving mostly yeah. 
of non-traditional students. So if you're a school like Portland State, right? You know, mm -hmm. that's- Go Vikings. Uh, yeah. Go Vikings. Uh, you know, cool history of a program, the one yeah. that's facing some struggles right now. But I want to say the average age of a Portland State students like 26 or 27. And so if you're supposed to be serving minority students, non-traditional students, tradition students that that don't have fifty thousand dollars to 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 get take out loans, should you saddle them with uh, student fees or expenses for a football program they're not going to enjoy, or for an experience that's not the same thing as a residential campus? I would argue no. Like I, I am not going to get all mad online about Stanford or Duke or even American wasting money on their athletic department for some reason because you know those are, those are. If we can indulge here in a stereotype, those are mostly students of means. Um, I would get, I do get upset when I see schools that are targeting less affluent students than being saddled with some of those things. So I, I think for me, aligning those those two incentives would be would be an, an important thing for schools to do. And, and then every school to be able to say, I'm spending this money on my athletic department to achieve X, Y, and Z. And here's how I can measure it. And here's how that aligns with what I'm trying to do. I also think it's it's a bad product for fans and honestly for athletes to pretend that schools that are not playing the same sport are playing the same sport. I, I don't think it's great for Kent State that they got to play three body bag games and they might right. win one out of 40 of them. But most of the time they're going to lose by 40. And it's cool that you got to play in Ohio Stadium. It's probably not as cool that uh, you lost 49 to three, right? A, a world where that happens less. Um, and those schools have an opportunity to compete at a level that makes sense for them, I think, I think would be a positive. The, the last thing that I think is so important here is that the voice of athletes are meaningfully taken into account when we make decisions. Uh, and this is something I've been thinking about here too in my own work because it's, uh, it's easy for me to call up an AD um, and it's easy for a lot of other reporters to call up a coach. It's harder for me to build those relationships with athletes either because I have to go through an SID I have to hope they check their Twitter DMs. I have to use a social network I'm not familiar with, which makes me feel extremely old. Uh, yeah, but ultimately, <laughs> like it's their lies. Like, don't ask me to TikTok, man. Like, I'm I'm too old to learn a new thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, whenever we're, whether it's expanding the playoff or changing the amount of time that athletes have to do or uh, to spend on their sport, I would want a new system to meaningfully take their preferences into account. Um, whether that's giving them money, giving them health care, giving them the opportunity to major in whatever they want, and then being centered. Um, I don't want to spend as much time thinking about what will make Jimbo Fisher's life more complicated, because as Don Draper said, like, that's what the money's for. Like, I'm not going to cry for you. I, but the other, it's the people under you. Find an NFL job. Like yeah. An, yeah, exactly. That is, I think, what we would like. And how that ends up looking, that could be one of 10 different things. And I don't have a super strong opinion about any of them right now. But if we're not gouging regular students with money, uh, with, with expenses for stuff they won't watch, and we're not taking advantage of athletes as much, I'm probably going to be cool with whatever, or at least I'm going to watch whatever it is that comes out from there, you know? Well, one of the things that Dan and I talked about, and we brought it up specifically around Jim Harbaugh with his song and dance, Will He, Won't He with the NFL, but the game is changing. And there's probably a percentage of coaches out there. Maybe Gary Patterson kind of falls into this category. He definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. Guys who are just sort of like, I'm getting too old for this crap. It's changed so much. How many of the people that you talk to on the administrative level will be out there publicly saying, we're all for this. We want to support it. We support the voice of the student athlete. But behind the scenes, conversations they have with you or among their peers are like, man, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. Well, it's funny. 
Those people typically don't talk to me as much anymore because they follow me on Twitter. <laughs> of yeah, course, yeah. right? Of course. Right? They know yeah. like Matt's going to say that if, if I tell him, right? We, what we saw with some coaches, Gary Patterson's a great example. Honestly, I think Urban Meyer is a good example. There's a certain kind of coach that was only really able to lead by having certain kind of power, which yeah. you definitely can't have now. And they left. And we saw this, I think, in the 70s too, when uh, you know, many black athletes said, actually, you have to treat me like a human being. You can't tell me I have to have this kind of haircut you can't, and and then we, you know, we saw that at Wyoming and Iowa and Oregon State. Some of those coaches, like the Lloyd Eatons of the world, they they had to get out. Um, we also saw that on the administrative level, there's a certain kind of AD that's been doing this for 35 years and can't imagine a different way. And I, I don't know if, if maybe Barry Alvarez specifically falls under this camp, but I think people like him, like this is a good time for me to to leave. We also saw, I, I think, a, a chunk of, of administrators, many of whom I think were really pretty bright, that were much younger, that looked at this and thought, things can't change as quickly as we'd like them to. And I don't want to kind of go through the 30 years of that song and dance. I want to get out now. So we saw you know, the commissioner of the America East, uh, who was somebody that you know, I think could have you know, led uh, the ACC in, in 10 years. We, we saw ADs at Portland State and UC Davis and a couple of other places, people that were, I think, under 50 left. And so you, you are seeing a change now. When I talk to a lot of ADs now, I think there's a, a, a generational shift between are you like over 60 um, uh, and are, are not and how you think about athlete empowerment or NIL. And I, you have to be comfortable with some of these changes if you want to you want to stay in this business because it's it's a different world um, for, for good or frail. I feel like Brian Kelly is sort of the poster boy for this movement. On one hand, the $10 million bag of cash. On the other player empowerment, the game changing, having to stand on the weird 360 platform, do the <laughs> the gritty. Yeah, yeah. The gritty. Yeah. yeah. Like it is changing. I'm curious to see how it goes for him. I suspect it will go well. He's got bottomless resources, but I can't wait. I I, I can't wait. The coaching world has been forced to respond to this in a way that um, you know, I, I don't know I really foresaw. No, no, I, I think I think you're right. It's one that I know a lot of coaches are really um, uncomfortable with on the football side, uh, and, and they're hesitant to say that in public. Um, but it, it, it's, it, it's true, and it's not just about what you have to do with recruiting. The, one, the idea of constantly having to recruit your own roster uh, is, is different because the, I think a common thing to do, right, is, is to gas somebody up when they're 18 and then kind of deprogram them a little bit, right, when, when they get on campus. And now you realize that if you lead by fear, or if you don't build those kind of relationships across your whole roster, everyone's going to leave. Um, you're going to have a Hawaii situation, and like that doesn't work anymore. That's also true with how you might have talked about politics or or race, or and, and you know that this was an issue for Orgeron, right? And, and one of the things that kind of led to things falling apart at LSU and um, building those kind of competencies is hard for a lot of, of big time college football coaches. And this is this is not a value judgment here. It's just that. That is a system that's tended to reward folks who have an almost sociopathic narrow-mindedness into one, like in, in, into one world, right? And they're, they're not. There's not a whole lot of people that are reading. Uh, you know, we we know what Mike Gundy's watching and reading, right? But we there's not a lot of other people that are like are are as are, are as connected to 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 politics or to 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 race or to finance these other things that maybe they're going to have to to connect with their athletes. And so it's going to be fun to see who's comfortable making some of those changes, who will attempt and do it clumsily. We'll get those jokes off, but, but I think athletes will forgive them. And who is completely incapable 
uh, of, of changing for anything. You're the Mike Leeches of the world. You know, like come hell or high water, this is exactly what I am and you know what I'm getting and I'm not changing. I, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to work out, but it'll be fun for us all to watch, right? Absolutely. I, uh, I ask you this as somebody who has probably like seven different hands and seven different cookie jars in that you're invested in Ohio State football, you're invested in the sport of football, you're invested in the business of football, you're invested in the business of college sports, but specific to football, and everybody has a different answer for this. How do you quantify the health of the sport? Some people will say TV ratings. Some people will say, you know, conference money payouts. Some people will say, you know, the the ability of America to fall in love with a quarterback who's going to be taken number one overall. So right now, and, and my own answer is, do I enjoy watching it as a TV show? In that, like, yes, I, hell yeah, I want to watch West Virginia, Texas Tech, because those programs are entertaining and this is a... A, a sport driven by TV money. So it's just a matter of, will I go out of my way to watch this game or as many games as I can? So to you, how do you quantify a very strange sport, a very disparate sport in terms of overall health? That is a really, man. I'm I, sorry I, if that's no, a, just a very no, no, involved, this, unanswerable. This is, this is a good yeah. one. I, I think my, my initial answer would be, I, I would, I, I think, I think it, it's not extremely healthy. There are some things about it that are, are yeah. still going strong. Like I, I, I think this, as a pockets of this country are going to unconditionally love football, totally forever. Right? You know, I, I grew up in one of in one of those places. I know both of you have spent time in some of those places there too. But the, there's some warning signs, right? One of those is with just pure participation in football, which has been in decline almost everywhere in the country. It has been most pronounced in the Pac-12 footprint and in the Northeast in some places here and. Here in Chicago, I wrote a big story about it. You know, this used to be one of this. You know, the Cook County was like Miami Dade for finding football recruits, right? Um, uh, you know, a couple of decades ago. And whether that's population shift, whether that's a lack of uh, adults to help run some of those youth leagues, whether that's concern about um, the health and safety of playing youth football, and 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 just pure cost, um, a lot of families aren't participating anymore. And I, I think for a, particularly for a lot of young men, you fall in love with football in part because you played it in seventh or eighth grade and, and you learned the, 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 the kind of nuts and bolts of it. So that would be a concern, not just for finding enough talent, but for, but for finding fans. I think the fact that students, by and large, are going to these games far less than they did a decade ago. And, and, and most places in general are, are facing declining attendance. Uh, I, think, I think that is an issue. And I think the governance of this sport uh, is, is an issue. And, and, and by that, I mean, not just with the NCAA and not just with Congress, but the, we've had a bunch of commissioner and AD changes over the last 10 years. And the trust level within the people that have to govern this sport is maybe at an all-time low. Even with, with people, you know, like Delaney was somebody that I think a lot of administrators would, would happily dog cuss behind closed doors. But they also knew that you know, how to work with him and, and knew and, and were, were able to work through some of those things. And that really isn't happening right now. I, I think a lot to what we saw with the conversations about expanding the playoff, which is something that every conference commissioner wants to do. And they weren't able to figure out a way around a couple of these you know, important, but not massive sticking points. Um, and I think part of that is because right now they don't like each other. A lot, a lot of them straight up don't like each other. So if they're unable to come to an agreement on something they all want to do, What's going to happen when they got to come to agreements on stuff they don't all want to do, which is what the next six months are. So I look at all of those things and think, 
there, there's some big problems to say nothing of, of Congress or to say nothing of the courts or what we know about CTE. There's, there's, there's things to be excited about. Like I honest to God, look at NIL and think this might make me like college football more. Think of all the, the, sure. the, the great memes we're going to get, right? Think, think of, think of, of, of uh, how this is going to improve the lives of, of athletes. Think about how this is going to help me get to know people uh, in a deeper way than before. But I, I have some concerns and, and I'm not necessarily sure that the people who are responsible for finding solutions to those problems are best equipped to do that right now. One of the, the interesting things about the sport, and Ty and I talked about this in bowl season with opt-outs specifically, but I think it goes deeper than opt-outs, is college football is a really hard sport to get into, right? Yeah. The barrier to entry for college football, and it's not unique. We I, I compared it to like the EPL and transfer windows, and you can buy players, but you have to return them, and there's the, there's a separate league you play in if you're also good. Like, it, it's it's just complicated. Some sports are just complicated and difficult to get into. College football has positioned itself as a national sport. It wants to compete with the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, the MLS, whatever, which are easier sports to follow because inherently they have athletes who can play for 15 years. The best athletes can become famous in household names. And you're like, I don't care what team LeBron James plays for. I love rooting against LeBron. I'm going to watch LeBron games to hate on him or whatever. You can't do that in college football. And now we have a, a sport in which we we I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of the sport. We want mainstream eyeballs, but we're making it extremely difficult via recruiting, via transfers, via coaches leaving, via NIL rules, via opt outs ahead of huge games like Pitt had a, a Heisman caliber quarterback who decided not to play in the biggest game of Pitt season. Like that's just a reality. And whether you like it or not, that's a reality of the sport is the difficulty of being a national or regional or local college football fan, a feature or a bug at this point? I mean, I'm like as into the weeds as almost anybody as you're gonna find, but like this, this it's funny because this, this is a thought experiment I do all the time because like my wife is not a college football fan. Her family are, are not college football fans. And most of the people like in my world in, here in Chicago are, are not that way. So what like what I try to think here, one, this is I think about this all the time when I'm writing because even I'm really getting in the weeds about stuff. Like, is this something I can explain to my father-in-law and have him his eyes not glaze over in the first forty-five seconds? And if I can, then great. Like, then I, I've, I've got an actual story. That's how not, we used to. That's how we used to approach podcasting, trying to explain to people what is yeah, this thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and 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 that that is an issue, and that is something I would think about if my job was to sell college football. I think there are some schools that are getting better at this and trying to find well, what are ways we can do to make all of this ecosystem more accessible. You know, like it, 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 it's funny, like this, this might be like a superficial thing. I think, I think Lafayette was a school when I first started doing extra points that did this well. This is the Louisiana Lafayette. And they're telling me like one of our goals is, and this is a, a culture that understands football, is we want to be the cheapest restaurant in Lafayette on game days. So we're going to offer dollar tall boys. And we're gonna we're gonna price our concessions cheaper than local high schools, and we're gonna flyer at every community center and every school and get people to come here. And like you know you know the the folks I was talking to were like, listen, South Louisiana, we are professional drinkers, so we can give dollar <laughs> tall boys, and and it's not going to be an issue. But our thing here is let's get everybody we possibly can to see this, to see the marching band, to see students, to 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 see the the wonderful South Louisiana tailgate uh, experience. And we can get them to fall in love with it later. Um, and and once, once they see that, I, I've talked to people at Nevada where, you know, Reno is a city that's changing an awful lot right now. And they're like, what we're doing 
is we are we're calling up every realtor we know and we're giving them two free tickets to every new home that's sold in Reno to get the new people to come in and hopefully yeah. fall in love with that. And I think that that might be part of what you have to do because for as much as the in-person experience, we, we can talk about how TV makes that more challenging um, and, and maybe it's not the same as, as it used to be, but the most compelling way to get people to see beyond recruiting rankings and, and transfer windows and um, rivalry trophies that we invented in 1914 and their, their bronze monopoly pieces or whatever, I think you just got to get people in the building. Because when you get people in the building and you see the brick on the, on the campus and you hear the marching band, it's cool. And, and, and that helps you work through some of those things. So, so that is, is an issue you have to solve. I, it, the fact that this is a so unique is, is a selling point, that it's so provincial and, and that cultural. it's so hyper-local. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's the very best part about college football. And it, you, it's finding ways to overcome that barrier to make it accessible is, is a challenge. Um, but it, it's that way with other things too. Like I, I, I feel like I've been saying, I could really get into hockey like every year of the last like five years. I think that's a place that has a high barrier to entry, right? Totally. Like, and and I, I've been scared off a little bit. Maybe, maybe eventually it'll, it'll, make, it'll make it happen. But like that, that's something that people have to deal with for sure. Well, it's, it's minor league baseball. Yeah, it's 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 minor league baseball, but also with like 110 years of lore. Yes, but yeah. They'll never have the same emotional connection to a minor league team as they will to a place they've got hanging up in their in their in their room. You know. Final question, perhaps the most important question. <laughs> On our last episode, Dan and I were theorizing how we could sponsor an Instagram post for Zach Calzada. Zach Calzada, transfer quarterback. Yeah. He's got 35,000 Instagram followers. What exactly is the process by which a small business, which is what we are, a very small business, um, would go about trying to find an endorsement, social media or otherwise, in the current climate? Yeah. So you know, this, this, this was why I did these deals for extra points. And, and I hope to do much bigger deals for extra points, I think, later this spring or summer, right? I did a bunch of deals for like 200 bucks, 150 bucks plus commissions for athletes. And now I'm like, maybe it makes more sense to find the right athlete and do like two or three grand. But what you would do if you're a business, the easiest way, besides trying to broker it straight on Twitter, would be to set up an account on a marketplace. And there's a bunch of them. Open doors, market price, mogul, no cap. Um, I, I can even, you know, I, I, can, I can DM you. I have a list of all of these, right? And for most of the, most of the time for brands, it's free to sign up and it's, it works kind of like Facebook Marketplace. You would, you would give some information about your company. You would explain, this is what I'm looking for for my campaign, maybe two Instagram posts and maybe a podcast appearance or two Instagram posts and could you take a picture of you wearing a solid verbal t-shirt or something, right? And you, you would list all of your information and your budget. And you can make that budget a, a flat rate. You, you can tie it to conversions. You could tie it to a couple other things. And I'd usually give a range. And then you could make it public. And you could either make it public and invite people to come pitch you or other athletes will come and pitch you, which is what I did on a few of these marketplaces. Or then you could, you could say, hey, show me all of the athletes in this database who play this sport, who have followings in this range, who have like a budget specified by this. I think, I think the best marketplaces will also let you sort by maybe major or hometown or you know, more granular with what their, what their audience looks like. And then they'll match you with people and you can directly reach out to them as well. It's, you know, just like you would uh, if you were trying to hire somebody on a, on a, a resume database or selling something on, on, on Craigslist. And then the way it typically works is you would begin the conversation on that platform. 
You might exchange phone numbers and then talk otherwise, like you might opt Tinder, um, I, I think. Uh, or, uh, I, I mean, it's, I, I can't I, confirm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got married before all that became big. Um, and then uh, the way it typically works is then, like, the marketplace takes a commission off the value of the deal. So if, if you're going to pay an athlete 150 bucks, you might put 175 bucks in escrow. The marketplace takes the $25 fee, the 150 then goes to the athlete once you approve it. It, it really is pretty simple. Um, and I would say for a company that's trying to drive awareness that is a college football show or a, college, a show that talks about college athletes, I think it's a good idea. It, it becomes a little bit more complicated if you're like a beat writer. And I wouldn't recommend you pay for an interview that way. But for a, a podcast, I mean, like that, it would, it would make sense. Many, many others are doing that. And uh, that is how you uh, the best way I think you'd go about trying to find the right athlete. Good stuff. Good stuff, Matt. You've been doing your homework, I got to say. Um, we always feel a little bit smarter when we have a chance to talk with you. So, uh, we've come a long way here in the last year since we last had this conversation. We will definitely have to do it more frequently as we get into the summer, get closer to the new season. But how can folks find your content? How can folks help support what you're doing at Extra Points? Yeah, that, I mean, th th thanks so much. Like, I, I, I love this stuff. I, I know that that not, that not everybody else does, but if like this is the kind of thing that you're interested in reading or, or hearing more about. Uh, I, I publish a daily newsletter. It's uh, called Extra Points. You can find it at extrapointsmb.com. Uh, two of those newsletters are free. Uh, three of them are behind a paywall. Cost, uh, typically costs eight bucks a month, but uh, I'll set up a special solid verbal specific discount. Whoa. Code. So, hey. That's right, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, uh, if, uh, I'll, I'll do this right when we're, we're done recording here, right? If you use, uh, say, promo code solid verbal. Uh, mm. we'll, we'll knock 25% off, so you can get it for Boom. Yeah, Thanks, for, man. That's cool. Yeah, th sure, yeah. So we'll get that for six bucks. You can put that in, in the notes. Um, I also do a podcast with Brian Fisher called Going for Two, which is the same kind of stories uh, that you might find in, in a newsletter. That's twice a week. You can find that wherever people get podcasts. And I'm on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. Awesome. Boom. He came prepared, prepared as always, Matt Brown. A pleasure. We will have you on again sometime soon. And in the meantime, as we say here on the show, stay solid. Hey, thanks, fellas. Stay solid. Always a pleasure. Okay. Woo. Yes, sir. There we go. Matt Brown generously setting up a discount for any of our ballers who are interested at extrapointsmb.com slash solidverbal if you want to get your discounted rate on Matt's content. I don't even know where to start, man. Like he he pretty much covered so much ground in an hour and answered so many of the questions that I had with how this whole thing works. As you know, any new thing in life. If you don't understand it, people tend to be afraid of it. I don't know if I'm any less afraid of NIL now. I have spent the majority of the last two minutes of my life Googling options for Zach Calzada. <laughs> Should he win the starting job at Auburn and, and sort of look like he did against Alabama and is a star quarterback is turning and we just had Justin Ferguson on and receivers, the receiver group is an issue right now at Auburn. But if he's turning so-so receivers or underrated receivers into stars and is making plays and winning big games and it's just like a bona fide next great thing at Auburn, don't know if it'll happen. I kind of think it might not, but you can never be too prepared. All right. I have three options and I'm not going to promote, I'm not going to promote for free a business in Auburn, Alabama, but you can get all of these things there. Okay. I'm saying, what if he does a Zach pack? 
Okay? okay, a Zach pack at some sort of local fast food place because you've seen like I don't know KFC or you know, they like these lunch deals where like popcorn, chicken, tater tots, and a drink and a biscuit. So we have a Zach pack of his choosing. That makes sense. That's a fun thing to say. A Zach sure. pack, sure. And then the other two are just more uh, punny and stupid, but they are options that you can get in Auburn, Alabama. I'm talking about calzadas enchiladas. Mm-hmm. That is a special combination. Maybe it's a red and green sauce, like a combination thing. Maybe it's an extra, it's like a spicy shrimp that isn't normally offered at a place, right? It's calzadas, enchiladas, and, you know, he promotes it on a local commercial Instagram or whatever. And my final offering for Zach Calzada, should he really pop in Auburn, Alabama, is calzadas, calzonas. And those are, <laughs> I apologize. Why I'm not so the local boat store for calzadas Armada? Well, that's many boats, and I don't know how many people are. <laughs> Join the, the Calzada Armada. Buy a boat from Bob's Boats. That's true, but Armada is not as immediately recognizable a word as enchilada to me, or calzona, which is how I would shift it. And so he obviously gets to pick the filling of this specialty item, and maybe it's you know it's seven dollars and however many points Auburn scores that week, you know something like that, but. I just, I think you got to get creative. I think you got to get into it. And Auburn is a community and fan base that is all in on football. So Calzada's Calzonas. I'm ready to make it a thing um, and be a creative director for the commercial if it comes to pass. I, I think we're positioning ourselves, maybe not so much as the sponsor. Right. But as the agent, as Matt described, as the, as the sure. creative body. He's got a great name. He's at a huge place. Calzadas, enchiladas, calzadas, calzonas. All right, get get Justin on the horn again. We got to find out the state of Mexican food in Auburn, Alabama. That's true. That's where we're going. I'm sure there are options. There have to be options. Everybody loves Mexican food. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, again, please do go on out to extra points MB slash solid verbal. If you're interested in more of Matt's well-researched and thoughtful content, which he puts out on a regular continuing basis, We so very much appreciate the time that he gave us here today to help make us a little bit smarter with respect to all things NIL and just college business at large. Don't forget, if you are ever so inclined, go on out to verballers.com. That is our Patreon. You can go on out there and access the bonus content that we put out every Friday, the Bruin A. We answer your questions. We answer your questions. Not only do we do that, but you get access to the video of us chatting with Matt, you get access to the show early. You also get access to our Discord server, which is still popping off, Dan, even though it's, it's the great. off season. Yep. It's still a great community of ballers. If you like the show, if you like college football, it's a cool place to hang out. And last but not least, follow us on social media if you have not already. That's all I have. Um, enjoy your time in sunny Southern California. And we're, we, by the way, we have a, a, a off-topic show too, right? That's part of the... Uh... The Verballers.com exclusive. We're working on it. Monthly off topic. Yeah. Yeah, we're working on it. We get weird. That's great. For that guy over there, Dan Rubenstein, for myself, Ty Hildebrandt, we will talk to you all very, very soon. Meet. Stay soft. Peace. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. 
Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.